Jesus, we just thank you for reminding us time and time again (laughs) that the highest authority in heaven and on the earth is you. And that highest authority is our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And I just thank you for all the truth that we have been singing about and professing and proclaiming with our mouths. Thank you, it is not hype, it is truth. And I pray that that truth will increasingly bear fruit in our lives. This new life, this abundant life that is ours in Christ. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, I'm just going to do um, a fairly slightly shortened preach to which everyone goes, yay! But as a church, we have been finding joy through the letter to the Philippians, Paul's letter that he wrote whilst being a prisoner of Rome. And it's remarkable, really, how many references to rejoicing and joy there are in these four fairly brief chapters of this letter. You know, he's probably been under house arrest for getting on for five years, if you include his time in Caesarea as well. That's a long time to have no change in your circumstances, to have shackles around your feet. He did have some privileges. He was able to obviously write letters. He was also able to receive visitors, but he was still in chains. His life was still in the balance. You know, would he be released or would he be executed? That was hanging over his head. That's quite a heavy weight to have hanging over your head. And yet, what we see as we've been going through these chapters and verses is that this is still a man who is full of hope. He's a man still full of faith and still full of joy. And, and, you know, despite these circumstances, why? Because he knew that his God was still in control. He knew, despite what it looked like, that God was still outworking his plans and his purposes for his good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, he knew that whatever happened, release or execution, that actually his eternal future was secure, was secure in Jesus. You know, his whole life was wrapped up in the purposes of God. We heard the other week that he said, well, I think it's going to end up with my release because I still believe God's got stuff for me to do. His whole life totally wrapped up, totally focused on God's plans and purposes for his life. So even in probably one of the darkest seasons of his life so far, he was able to experience this unquenchable joy. Thank you. Unquenchable joy. Even saying that he had learnt the secret of being content in every and any situation. What a thing to say. What a statement. Can we say that? 
The passage we've, we've come to this morning, I think, is really relevant, given that we've just dedicated Aaron to God, because this passage is all about fixing our eyes on Jesus and following his example. We've made declarations that Aaron and his generation would follow us as we follow Jesus. This passage is all about us imitating Christ and the joy that comes when we do that. We, we talk a lot about role models when we dedicate kids to God. It always begs the question, what are we actually modeling to our kids, to our work colleagues, to the community around us? What are we actually modeling in the way we deal with our relationships, in the way we deal with our finances, in the way we deal with the tough times, those pressure points? Because people are watching. What are we modeling in the way we handle technology? That's something that uh, God's really speaking over my life at the moment, you know, because I don't want my kids competing with my phone for my attention. Too often, even this week, I'm ashamed to say, I've realized that one of my kids is saying, Dad, Dad, hello, Dad, and I've been totally absorbed in a, an email or a text. That's not something I want to model to my kids. It also begs the question that as role models, who are we actually following? Whose example are we following? Are we following the prevailing sort of culture or are we following Jesus Christ? You know, by definition as Christians, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And it's a question that Paul addresses here in our passage. If you've got a Bible, do turn to uh, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 27. But in this chapter, Paul encourages the church in Philippi and us to look to the example of Jesus Christ. And he highlights two areas that if we model really well, we will be great examples, not just to our kids, important as that is, but also to the wider community and ultimately the whole world. And those two areas are imitating Christ's unity and Christ's humility. Unity and humility. So Paul starts off by saying, verse 27, whatever happens, okay, so regardless of the circumstances, very, very good at making excuses, aren't we? But regardless of where you happen to be, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, God's Holy Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. How we relate to each other is of massive importance. And notice where Paul starts. He starts by encouraging the church to remember who they already are. You are one in the Spirit. This is who you are. This is your identity. So conduct yourselves accordingly. 
Now, the, the Greek word, if you, I love looking at the Greek um, sort of meanings, where it says conduct yourselves, it also means to live as citizens of. In fact, I think the New Living Translation picks up on that. Live as citizens. This is who you are. This is your identity. Therefore, live as citizens of that identity. Now, now Philippi was a Roman colony. If you look at a map, it was, you know, quite significant distance away from Rome, right on the east coast of Macedonia. And yet, because it was a Roman colony, you had the same laws and the same rights. You were a Roman citizen, just as if you were living in Rome. And so what Paul's doing, he's picking up on this idea of citizenship. You know, he's, he's saying, look, you guys, although you live in this little outpost of Rome called Philippi, you are Roman citizens. That's your identity. And yet, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what trumps that is that you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. That is where your citizenship lies. He explains that further in chapter 3 if you read on a bit. You know, so whatever your passport says, whatever color your passport, actually, if you are a Christian, if you've made Jesus Lord of your life, first and foremost, you are a citizen of heaven. might say British on my passport, but actually, my identity lies in the fact that I'm a child of God, first and foremost. I'm a citizen of heaven. And so Paul is simply encouraging us Live in the light of that. Remember who you are. In other words, this unity that he's calling us to is not something that we have to strive to create because Jesus has already united us on the cross. Read through Ephesians 2. You know, in fact, again, Paul is very picky with the words he chooses here. He doesn't say strive for unity. If you read, he says strive together for the gospel. And that, that, that word strive together, I'm rubbish at pronouncing Greek, but it's along the lines of soon athleo. And it's actually where we get our word for athletics from. Striving together. It's a sense of working together as a team, united. We're already united under the, think of the Olympic um, the, the, the Olympic ceremony, when all the countries walk in under their flag, united, they're going to compete, united together for a common goal, common gold. <laughs> That's the kind of image that he's getting at here. As I said, Ephesians 2 tells us that whatever our past Whatever our background, I just love that song Mike brought towards the end of our worship. You know, whatever sin-soaked mistakes and past we've had, when we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, when we acknowledge that he paid the price for our sin on that cross, we are totally leveled in Christ. We are a new creation. We have a new identity. Citizens of heaven, children of God. He is the one who has abolished the barrier that separated us from God and from each other. We are united with the Father and with each other through Jesus' finished work on the cross. 
And I think, again, I think Rob mentioned it as we were praying for Aaron. You know, they, they might walk under their national flag, but as followers of Jesus, his banner over us, his flag over us is love. It's his love that unites us. So we remember who we already are. That's the first base. Recognizing Christ in each one of us, the hope of glory. It's like, wow, you're, you're my brother, you're my sister. There is already unity there. But we are called to maintain that unity in the Spirit. Again, if you read Ephesians 4, it calls us to maintain that unity, to live out that truth of who we are, to live out that love that we have received in Christ, to loving God's enabling by his Holy Spirit. And that should impact every area of our lives. That should impact how we talk to one another, how we accept and receive one another. should impact how we encourage and, and stand in support of one another. Again, as we've been doing with Kieran and Naomi today. And so Paul goes on in chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, once you've remembered who you already are, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from this love, if any common sharing in this one spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, this really gets right to our hearts, doesn't it? Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's really challenging, isn't it? He mentions two things that destroy unity, selfish ambition and vain conceit or self-centeredness. And then he mentions the one thing that will really maintain our unity, and that is humility. Humility. Pride tends to isolate us. I don't know if you've recognized that. Humility draws us into community. Pride says, it's, it's okay, I've got this. I can do this, I don't need your help. Pride is just, just obsessed, focused with looking to your own interests. Selfish interests, selfish desires. Your own well-being. Unity, on the other hand. Unity says, I, I need you. I value you. How can I encourage you? How can I support you? That's what unity does. Unity draws us out of ourselves and onto others. That's what humility does. It draws us out of ourselves and onto others. Rather than isolate us, humility unifies us. I don't know, perhaps one of the most humbling things that you can do is to parent a child. <laughs> I remember I used to work in a recording studio, and it's always interesting when you see these artists who start to have children, because before, their lives are just totally absorbed 
with their music, whatever album they're on. It's all-encompassing. Suddenly, they have this life. And they were like, I've, I've had too many conversations. They're just like, everything has been turned on its head. You know, if I was living for myself before, I am not anymore. Suddenly, this little life is totally all-encompassing. It totally turns their focus around. And it's really humbling, as those earlier tweets prove, because you quickly realize that you haven't a clue what you're doing as a parent. You know, just when you think you're getting to grips with this parenting lark, you know, our kids start changing into a different stage of life. And it's like, oh, rip that rule, because everything's changed. I mean, we've got a wonderful daughter. She is uh, into her tweens. Everything I have learned about parenting a daughter has now gone out of the window. I'm starting from scratch again. And you know what? I love it because it reminds me again and again, wow, I need your help, Lord. Me and Claire, we need your wisdom. We need our church family. We need to be humble. And being humble takes a lot of courage. You know, I think there's so much pressure to appear to have it all together. You know, I think Facebook is wonderful, but I think quite a few Facebook posts could go under the category of vain conceit. Look at my perfect family. You know, it's, it's, the truth is none of us have it all together, do we? None of us do. And it takes courage to admit that. It takes courage to say, actually, guys, I could do with some help here. I'm going through a really difficult time. And the more we ask for support... And the more we look to others to see, actually, could they do us some support? The more united we will be. And again, just like unity, humility is not something we have to strive for. It's not something we have to beat ourselves down. It's like, oh, I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish. No, like unity, humility is simply a matter of focus. It's, it's simply getting our eyes off ourselves a little bit more than we do. It's often quoted, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. It's often accredited to C.S. Lewis. Actually, he said something slightly different. He said, if you see a humble man, he won't be thinking about humility because he simply won't be thinking about himself. It's actually Rick Warren who uh, kind of simplified that. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And the most effective way that you and I can fight pride in our lives is to stop constantly looking in and start looking to Jesus. Start looking to him. You know, even as we've been doing this morning, focusing on his love, on his grace, You know, because humility grows as we submit to him, as we look again, Jesus, how awesome are you that you came from heaven to earth? And that's exactly where Paul goes. I've got a little quote here by Louis Giglio. I don't know if you know him. He he speaks at these passion events. He's an amazing pastor. But he sums it up like this. Humility is not a character trait to develop, but it's the natural byproduct of being in the presence of the risen 
Jesus. I love that. It's a byproduct. The more we are in the presence of Jesus, the more humble we become. And this is where Paul now takes us in this passage. He encourages us, first and foremost, remember who you are. You're united in Christ. Now take your eyes off yourselves and onto Christ. He says in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude or mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is, without doubt, the greatest model of humility that there is. The Son of God himself, choosing to make himself a slave. In fact, even lower than a slave, choosing to die on a cross like a common criminal. That's humility. From the the splendor of heaven to the agony and the shame of the cross. He allowed himself to become a curse for us. To remove the curse of sin that was on us. To reconcile us back to the Father. So we could be called children of God. Citizens of heaven. And having this attitude, having this mindset of Christ means we start taking on his perspective. We gain a heavenly perspective. We're citizens of heaven, remember. We may be sitting in Sutton right now, but we're citizens of heaven and we can have a heavenly perspective. So suddenly all those things that wound us up, got our backs up. All those offenses that we have been carrying as we take our eyes off ourselves and onto Jesus and look again at the incredible humility of the Son of God. Suddenly those things seem a little less significant in the light of what he has done for us, for the wrongs that he has forgiven us for. You know, and that all-consuming desire for success at any cost that drives so many people in this world is replaced when we encounter the presence of Jesus with an all-consuming desire simply to be faithful to who God has called us to be. To see the part that he has given us to play in the bigger picture 
that we are a valued, beautiful, chosen part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. So much bigger. And as we look at Jesus' humble obedience, so our desires change to glorifying him rather than glorifying ourselves. You know, the the church in Philippi that, that Paul is writing to, he mentions there's a couple of people there who are absolutely at loggerheads with one another. You know, both probably thinking that they are right, they're not giving an inch. And it's just causing friction in the church. It's not a comfortable place to be. Has anyone had a friction burn? You know, I don't know, as a kid, you're dragged along the carpet by your big brother. You know, suddenly it's just like, I've got no skin on my back. Actually, I had a really bad one. Years ago, I was on holiday in Cyprus. It was boiling hot, so I was just in shorts and a running vest and flip-flops, and we thought it'd be a clever idea to to hire some bikes. And I went pillion passenger on this one. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, we weren't going that fast, thankfully, but he lost control, wobbled a bit, hit the curb, I flew off the back. Except my flip-flop and my foot got stuck in the back of the bike on the fairing. And I was dragged along the road, uh, probably only just a few meters, but I was kind of on my arms like that, trying to hold myself off. Needless to say, I didn't have any skin left on these two portions of my arm. It was severe friction burn. It hurt a lot. And then going into the salty sea afterwards, it's like, ha, ha. It was not comfortable at all. But you know what? Friction in relationships... Friction in the church can be even more painful. It can hurt even more. It steals our joy. It steals our unity. But when we choose to follow Jesus' example of humility, you know what? It pours soothing oil all over that situation. When we stop trying to prove our point, when we stop trying to save face, but instead choose to prefer others, to value others above ourselves, that is when joy comes and unity is maintained. And you know what? In our culture, that, if we're honest, is so addicted to self, When we model that Christ-like humility, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 15, we are going to shine out like stars in the night sky. Again, I just love what Roz brought about Shiloh shining. You know, we've become ready break kids, glowing. People sit up and take notice. There is a glow of God's favor upon us when we choose to model authentic, loving, united community. It's powerful. We should never underestimate the impact that that has. So let's follow Paul's encouragement and Christ's example. And let's be amazing role models of unity and humility to Aaron and his generation, that they will see something so countercultural, so beautiful and attractive 
and joyful that they, as Paul says, would acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.